Hey, do me a favor, sign up for the agency program that Triple Whale is providing because you get 20% on the leads that you provide. That's a big deal. That is whether you guys are gonna eat ramen or that's whether you guys are eat filet mignon. You gotta jump in that bad boy. Oh boy, so this is gonna be a fun one. So I've, I've known Jordan for at least seven years now, like intimately seven years, probably longer than that now at this point. But this one has been uh, an area of topic that we haven't really been able to go super deep on. And so selfishly, why you start a podcast is to ask very intimate, deep questions around the topics that you care most about. This is the perfect time and place to do it, especially when you have someone who's, for a lot of us on the audience, have wanted to make the transition of like, I run traffic, I am good at a specific thing. I built a company. Ooh, I don't know if I want it to be this way, this size. Rebuild the company. And then we look to where we are today with who he is as a man, who he is as a, as a builder and as a father and as a dad. And I think these things are super, super exciting to, to build into it. So as always, I'm with my sidekick, Joshy, Joshy Kobayashi, Joshua Johnston, and Jordan Menard. Brother, how are you today? Doing very well, guys. Great to be here. Thank you so much for having me on. Thanks for coming, man. So if I were to take us back, like the first, so I was talking with Danny on the last guest and he, I was like, hey, you normally were known for like being good at one thing. And for me, it was like, I was good at the Facebook, Josh was good at ops and we stay in Orlando and we kind of build the pieces around us. You were in that route, right? Like you, you started running traffic first, right? Yeah. So I started as an affiliate, actually. I think um, a lot of people start as an affiliate. This was back in the day where, you know, you people were ripping and running, you know, Garcinia Slim hair trials, um, where you get the free trial, just pay shipping. Um, and then the rebuild hits. Um, and we can go into that later if we want. I mean, it was a, it was a wild time. Right. And so that was like when I first got into it, I was originally supposed to be a lawyer. Um, I went to uh, junior college for speech and debate. I actually won the California state title twice and I won the national title my second year. Um, so I had a full ride scholarship, like, uh, ready to go to Southern Illinois university, ready to be on the debate team. And the route was paved to law school. Um, I worked a little bit with a lawyer over that summer and realized that I hated this. Like I hated it. And at the same time, um, I had just discovered digital marketing. And so right when about, right about when the decision had to be finalized, um, I made the extremely impulsive and bold move to throw away the entire scholarship and go all in on digital marketing. My parents told me I was making the biggest mistake in my life. Uh, the director of debate uh-huh. called my parents, whole nine. But I knew this is what I wanted to do. And so I went, to affili- I went into affiliate marketing. I sucked at first. It was brutal. About 90 days in, I got it to work. Um, eventually, uh, I just didn't feel good about what I was doing and the model that Why? I was running. I was playing ping pong. So I was working on this floor at a high rise in downtown um, in this San Diego where I'm from. One floor below us was the call center. And so uh, they were handling all the chargebacks, all the... And I was down there playing ping pong and I ended up hearing this phone call of this woman who had her last 35 bucks taken from a rebuild that she didn't know was going to come overdraft and she didn't know how she's going to feed herself and she had kids. And I just heard it like, man, you know, I'm taking this money and thinking about what, what type of Jordans I can buy. Like it just, it didn't sit well with yeah. me. And I kept having this thought of like, I want to be able to tell my mom what I do and be honest, you know? And so for from sure, there- for sure. 
I was like, well, I can't, I've kind of made my bed, right? Like I can't just tell my folks, hey, I threw away that scholarship, but this didn't work out either. So uh, let's go work at Chili's. You know, I had to figure something out. So, and no knock on Chili's, the triple dipper. Nothing wrong with Chili's. Chili's got a good meal. Come on now, you guys know. You guys Uh, know my stance on Chili's. A hundred percent. I'm talking to the king here. And so like I was kind of scrambling. I knew I had good Facebook ad skills um, and that was about all I had. So I went to go work at a local agency thinking, well, if this route isn't it, because I, I hadn't even thought like about lo- anything. Like local market? like Local marketing. Yeah. Like okay, um, okay. I, I was essentially booking appointments for like local franchises, um, people that would put blinds into your home, people that would clean your carpets, service-based businesses. The agency that I was working at was looking to develop a Facebook ads product, but they needed someone to make it. And so that was like my first real job. Within like 60 days, the Facebook ads product was the number one product on the sales floor. Within 90 days, like 90% of new revenue was coming from this product. And that's when I realized like, oh, I can make a lot of money doing this. And the little salary they're paying me is not worth the value that I'm providing. And I started to, I, I knew that there was another level of it that I wasn't at. And I needed to work for someone to teach me how to get to that level. It's actually pretty crazy. Like this, this, this part of the story is, is kind of wild. It's hundred percent true. My grandmother, she's she's from Basque. So Basque is like a very small uh, San Sebastian in Spain. It's a very unique culture. And every time when I would get in trouble in high school, um, she would always say, "Well, he's Basque. He's Basque." That was always the excuse. And so I always thought she was like on my side. You know, I, she she was she was grandma. She was holding it down. She was always defending me. And so this was the end of her life. And so, you know, she, she's ready to pass. I'm in the hospital next to her bed on my computer. She's sleeping. I'm looking at different things that I had uh, been looking into, job, job stuff. Someone tagged me in a Facebook post. And it was like this quiz. It was like, if you think you really know Facebook ads, prove the it face, by the, the timbered quiz. Yeah, it was, but it was by Sam Ovens. And I had no idea. Uh-huh. I, had, uh, I had no idea it was consulting.com. I had no idea anything. Interesting. I click it. I start filling everything out. The nurses come in and they're like, sir, we're going to have to ask you to step outside for a little bit. I'm like, okay, give me one second. I'm flying through this application. I don't proofread it. I don't check anything. I just press send, close my laptop, walk out. Didn't even think twice about it. About a week later, I get a call from Nick Fisher. He goes, hey, uh, this is Nick from consulting.com. I was wondering if you had a second to talk about the application you put in. I was like, oh, I didn't put in an application to consulting.com. He was like, oh, yeah, you filled out this thing. I was like, oh, yeah, for sure. Um, when do you want to talk? And so he's like, how about now? And so a 30-minute conversation went two hours. That was the first uh, exposure I had to the wonderful person that is Nick Fisher. Love that guy. Yeah. Uh, shout out to That's Nick. a short Fisher. conversation. A yeah. short conversation for him. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> then, like, you know, uh, 14 days later, I was moving um, from San Diego to New York. Um, to go become the director of user acquisition for consulting.com. And that's kind of where I really honed my skills and kind of like what started to get me recognized in our little corner of the internet um, for running traffic. That was the first time I took an ad account from, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50K a day, just pumping webinar traffic to one single webinar. Um, And that was kind of the spark in the powder keg. This is the crazy thing about it. Like, I worked at four agencies before I was like, yeah, I think I can do this. Like mm-hmm. the, the, the thing that, that shocks me now, and I know Josh, you, you, I know you and I both have very similar opinion to this. I don't believe there's a better route. If you want to get into a future thinking, future forecasting, future participating, future creating 
job market, then go join it. Then, then then you should go join an agency. Unless unless you're writing code and you're going to get on the back end of like engineering. Okay, cool. Go that route. Like obviously you'll be able to be a part of a building, but join an agency where you learn how to speak. You learn how to deal with human conflict. You learn how to like control positioning and selling of a thing. You learn business, you learn BD, you learn a lot of these things, but you should learn it by being a part of it. I will die on this hill. I will die on this sword because when you're able to be a part of an org, you go, I might not like that, but I get why that's working. I get why people are doing that. Or then you start realizing like you meant like your value to what you're generating or what, what you were getting paid to what the value you're, you're producing. You you then have that realization. It was like, okay, now I have to have the self-belief in myself mm-hmm. to go and do it or go and bet on myself yep. because I, yeah. I know what I can do over here. Let's go for it. And you can't do that until you start to have uh, that personal experience. And look, fish took a bet on you after you've proven yourself, but you still had to build up your life out of San, dude, San Diego to New York. is a culture shock to, to say the least. Oh, to say for the least. sure. There's a re- there might be a reason why you're back in San Diego because that might be the vibe you're playing with, right? So it's funny you say that. Um, when I went to New York, I, I, I had never been there really. Um, and so the first time I was like really showing up there, I was moving there, right? And so I'm walking down the street by Grand Central Station. I noticed how everything is so fast paced. I've always walked super fast my whole life. My wife gets so frustrated at me when we're walking on the street. She's just like, why are you running? Like all the time, right? Um, yep. And I remember thinking like, oh my gosh, like the the outside matches the inside now. Like I was in a place where like the hustle and the grind like was normal. And that, you know, I come from a sleepy little beach town where, you know, the priorities are like smoking weed and surfing, you know, and going yeah. to breakfast, right? That's like what really, that's the, the culture here. And so when I was in New York, I was like, I was just head over heels in love immediately. I would have stayed there had um, consulting not planned to move back to uh, Huntington Beach where I was going to move. And that was around the time I realized um, I was, you know, I'm just a free bird, you know, um, I wanted to go yeah. do my own thing. And, um, and then as I was moving back, I made the decision, like it was time to go launch my own thing. Um, and that's how, um, but if it wasn't for that, it's kind of crazy. I probably would still be in New York, um, but I'm, I'm glad how everything worked out. And this is actually the point at which I met you, right? Like we met each other in, in, right. in Vegas speaking for the very first time and okay. it was like, yo, like I've seen you on the groups or I've seen you, you've been about this X, Y, Z. And that's when you built, you weren't called Motif. What were you called before Motif? So we were long form creative and there it is. Long, long form creative was formed um, specifically to work with coaches, um, course sellers. What um, year was this? That, this was 2018. Is it 18? Yeah. I think. Yeah. 2018, maybe 2019. Long form, you know, went, um, it, it was pretty cool. We started working with some like really big personal brands, like immediately. Um, you know, we worked with, uh, the Morrison brothers for a long time, yeah. Robert Kiyosaki. Um, sure. we, we were selling the Robert Kiyosaki, Donald Trump book during the, oh, so it was 2016 Not actually, crazy. 2016 it was before that. Yeah. Cause yeah. Cause during the election we were selling the, uh, the Trump Kiyosaki book. And that was like an offer, dude, it was crazy. It was like the, one of those from zero to 30 K a day in 10 days, you know, just pumping. And so, yeah, we worked with really big brands, you know, Jordan Belfort, the Wolf of Wall Street, Dan Locke, um, the whole nine. I really enjoyed it because the names that you just railed off, the craziest thing about all this, this thing that blows me away on this 
You weren't prospecting. You weren't you weren't hunting for business. These yeah. were coming in. These these are like, yeah. oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Then this this is the crazy because you weren't look. Obviously, you proved yourself, and we all come from like really big wins. Cool, Fidget Spinner, yeah, different. You know, a bunch of these wins, and those wins basically drove like the 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 confirmation that you should be working with these other top tier people, and that's that's what I think mm -hmm. is crazy when people think about. And Josh, I know I'm going to throw this to you in a second. It, there, everyone's always thinking about at the start of the agency, how do I get business? And at the start of the agency, how do I save the business? But it should be, okay, I, I'm not going to disagree. You do need to get business or else you're not going to get future business. For but sure. as soon as that one comes in, it's the f deliverability of quality content and wins that goes forward, right? 100%. I mean, for that, uh, for us, it was, it was snow teeth whitening, right? It's like we, we yeah. got one opportunity that opened the floodgates. It's funny because my partner in, in my consultancy now was the person that passed that that client on Crazy. to us. And it just completely opened the floodgates of like, oh, you create Snow Teeth Whitening's content? You're trusted enough to create our content too. There was no pitch. It was, this is how much it costs to do it. And mm -hmm. all of a sudden, boom, it happened. So those opportunities, you have to really take advantage of some of those opportunities, lean into some of the, the names that you're working with, especially early on, because it will open the floodgates for you and and those one opportunities it might even be in, in jordan i'm curious to hear like were any of those like initial opportunities were they free were they you know kind of like one-offs that were at a lower price point or was it because of your background with sam ovens that you were able to just go immediately into big retainers with these guys yeah great question so um to nick's point I was less concerned about getting clients, more concerned about when we get those clients. I want to provide the best service in the world, right? Mm -hmm. I'm an extremely competitive person. I always have been my whole life. I go play a game of pickleball with my dad. And like when I'm down four points, like I, I'm like, this is who you are as a person. Rise up, you know, like way over the top. And so I took that approach with with work, right? Like I, to me, it was, and I, I think you do need to like separate your personal work or worth from your work. But at the time I was like, this is what, <laughs> this is what defines me. You know, I was just so hell bent on like, I want to provide the best results ever. And then I think what happened is we started getting some really big wins with the Morrisons. We had uh, Jordan Belfort. We, I, you know, I, I worked with him a little bit on an offer and some ads. And then we had like a half a million dollar Black Friday for an info product, right? And when we did stuff like that, that like popped the top off to, to Nick's point where like I was not looking for people. I was focused all day on making these offers work and scale and people were just knocking on my door. And so, yeah, Josh, um, we never really gave discounts, though. Um, I think that's a great way to do it. Incredible. We never really gave discounts. We did start at a lower price point and like consistently raise as like every, you know, every time we, we reached a new plateau, we'd raise that price. Um, but we never really did any work for free. Yeah, it was always, always, always a price. Yeah. I'll have to add this too. I actually think trying to get Jordan business or trying at the, at the earlier stages, you're much more processed now. It was almost impossible to get you a, yeah. a deal. You're like, dude, I am literally executing right now. I'm not, mm -hmm. I don't need to jump on a, you're like, you're like weighing the, I'm like, eh, I don't really need that right now. Like there was, it was crazy. I remember there was crazy shit. And we, we actually went through this together when we did, when we had an offer pop off last year, that was last year. It was yeah. literally, we had another case study last year. Pop, yeah. and, and to get us to do that, the lead up to like, Hey, should we do it? Should we not? Should we do it? And it was like, you're on a call. I'm on a call. We couldn't make it work. And then as soon as we're like, okay, this is happening. The speed at which it moved, which oh kind of speaks to you like, Hey, look, we might not be perfect on the in and on the inbound, 
which is an area that so many of the agencies focus, somewhere that we need and know that first 60, 90 days is make or break. But if the product yeah. and the deliverability of what it is you're doing is so incredible, and so I talked about the, at the event last weekend, it's a relationship or, or performance. If the performance drops, the relationship has to take over. If the relationship 100%. drops, performance has to be where it needs to be. If they both drop, you're fucked. Yeah, 100%. That's something, you know, you're you're like dead on, right? That was not my strong suit. It's not my natural strong suit. Like I just, yeah. I'm in the weeds, right? I just want to go get my hands dirty and go put numbers on the board. Um, over time, I realized that, you know, it's, you, you have to have both sides of it if you really want to succeed. And that's something I constantly have to grow in, but also rely on other people around me to support me in that manner, right? Now we have people on our team that when someone comes on board, they're taken very good care of. There's onboarding. There's someone holding their hand through every step of the way. There's a bunch of different processes that you have to go through when you first come on board. But for the longest time, um, I was just focused on putting up the numbers. And then to what you were talking about, Nick, as soon as that green light hit, the first day in that ad account, the first day we spent $5,000 and capped it. And oh. within like three days, we were, we were spending 20K a day. And that was one of those moments where like I, I really saw like what happens when the right team assembles and everybody's focused on their job and staying in their lane. It just happened so quick. It was like yeah. effortless. And it, it, it really spoke to me. And then, uh, yeah, since then, um, I think that taught me a lot about like what where my true skill sets lie too. Like, I don't think I'm like when I like Nick, when I talk to you about how you manage structured, I'm coming from a position of like, I want to take notes, right? Like I want to learn yeah, yeah, what yeah. you're doing because you're so far ahead of me in that realm. And then on the flip side too, like I get questions from you and Colin about traffic still to this day, right? Like Colin yep. will call me mm -hmm. and be like, Hey, I got this issue with this account. What do you think that we do? I'm like, well, you know, and then we start, I start pulling out the monkey ranch and kind of, you know, pulling on stuff. So, um, I think that's like this world, like the, a lot of people talk smack on like the, the D to C community, but in my experience, it's like the most helpful collaborative. If you're humble and you are honest about like where you are, what you are, what you're doing, um, man, it's so easy to find people that have been there before and done it bigger, faster than you, that you can learn from. Can we pause for, uh, your team specifically? Uh, I'm, I'm very curious because when you are an excellent practitioner, it's mm -hmm. very difficult to surround yourself with a team that you feel is at the same level as you. Mm -hmm. How are you finding some of the team? Because I know you have a couple savage media buyers that are exceptional. Point. Is this a process of training them up? Or is this, hey, I found the right people and, and I'm like collecting the best of the best? Man, great question. I would say it's the latter. Um, we do a lot of you know, there's a lot of training that we do with our media buyers, right? There's a lot of techniques that we utilize that are um, a little bit contrarian to what the general community thinks is our best practices. You know, one thing, uh, shout out to uh, OU, uh, Jordan Smith. He's uh, my head buyer over here, manages all the buyers with me, um, does a lot of, he's a pixel wizard. He always says that like, I'm the media buyer's media buyer, right? So like the, the nerd media buyers, like they, there's like an attraction that's kind of natural there. I think because of that, I get a lot of people that are really into media buying that are interested in working for us. Uh, what I found though, despite all of that, is you know, we'll bring people on, we'll hire a media buyer, and we'll go through that first 90 day training period. I'll teach them everything I know. Um, we'll go through all the training. And then what always fascinates me is uh, when the rubber meets the road and they have to go do it. I say it's like scaling an account is like dunking a basketball. 
I can teach you exactly how to jump, exactly how you, to feel the rim and put, you know, everything. But at the end of the day, you got to go dunk. You just got to go do it. And I've noticed with some of our buyers, I'll teach them exactly what we do and it just never comes to fruition. With other guys, I'll teach them what to do and within 10 days, the results are just incredible. Uh -huh. um, we had this guy come to us. Um, he's from Eastern Europe. Uh, most he had ever spent was $500 a day on Facebook ads. I had this one phone call, um, but when, it, when I hired him, I just I could tell he was sharp. He was smart. He got it. Within one phone call, um, we, had we talked for like an hour and I explained like how we scale stuff, how we're looking at, you know, making reads, making audibles. Probably 10 days later, he had an affiliate offer at like 25000 a day in spend, right? And he was Hopeful. freaking out. He couldn't believe it was real. And so I think for us, like if you show up on my doorstep with the natural talent and the ability to make it happen, then you're going to fit in with a, a small group of killers who have done this 50, 100 times. Um, where your talent can really go shine. But if you're someone who's like, I need really, really step-by-step -step training, um, we're not mm -hmm. going to be a good fit. We're not going to be a good yeah. fit. Would you say that a lot of your training is more centered around teaching people how to think versus following an SOP? 1,000%. Okay. Media buyer SOPs are hilarious, right? You can make the best SOP and then someone implement implements it on an account and the, the results dive bomb, right? It just is mm -hmm. terrible. Uh, we're experiencing this right now. Someone came in with a, an SOP that we had wanted to learn from. We implemented everything and, uh, you know, it didn't take, right? That stuff happens. And so rather than teach them a rigid SOP, um, I want to teach them exactly what you said, how to think, how to look at things, how to make calls that, and how to, how to take risks, right? Like I think the best media buyers, there's always this moment where they're looking at something in the ad account. They've been in there for a while. And then this epiphany hits. They're like, what if I do this with this headline, with this image, with this? And, and that's the thing that works. And I'm still trying to figure out how to standardize that because it seems like something that can only really come from being face to face in the ads manager and truly yeah. understanding what's been running, what you're testing, what works, and then finding that moment of like, you know, what, what makes an artist, you know, if someone says that their favorite artist has never made a bad song, I'm like, you are lying. Every artist yeah. has trash songs, right? But they don't know that when they release it. To them, you know, the, the banger that goes top 40 and the song that nobody listens to on the album, um, they probably were of similar quality in the artist's mind, right? It, it, it's how yeah. it's received that determines everything. And I think there's a, a an element of that um, in marketing as well. Has there ever been like a specific situation where one of your media buyers had done something and you're like, why would you ever do that? And it just, it was one of those top 40s. Absolutely. Um, this is insane. It, uh, yeah. I would uh, love to hear just like a, a specific example because I, I, I think that these are such a, like such cool nuances to cover because yeah. I think a lot of times like we handcuff our, our team to how we want to do it. So I, I like one, this. this. This is good. 100%. And this is probably the most extreme example I could give on this topic. <laughs> my agency, um, you know, my book of business is essentially divided among like three parts. Um, a majority of it, or probably half of it is uh, D to C advertising, right? We make ads for brands and we buy those ads. We scale revenue. We're very focused on um, driving incremental revenue according to the tracking platforms, doing what's best for the business um, as opposed to what looks good in the ads manager. The other half is like um, two different types of affiliate offers, right? Um, so it's pretty balanced on how we generate revenue. In this instance, I'm talking about an affiliate offer. 
I have this buyer um, who had cracked that offer. The the same guy that um, you know came in it, who had only spent five hundred. Uh, shout out to Lavani if you're listening to this. Uh, you are a super talented human being, bro. Happy birthday, Lavani. Um, bro, he's so like yeah, love love that kid. I go check on this account, and first I go and I check the CRM, right? I go check Everflow, and I'm like, oh my gosh, we're doing like 27k a day in revenue. Like, this is huge. When did it like? It seems like there's just a a, a quick spike. So then I go to the ad account. All the metrics are there from, you know, CPM, impressions, click through, and at landing page, nothing, not even a zero, no numbers, no add to carts, no purchases. And I'm like, wait a minute, how are we spending this much money, but there's no purchase data in the, in the ad account. And that's when I realized the pixel is off. It's broken. So there is no data passing from Everflow into the account the pixel's completely broken but i'm looking at it and i'm like this is the most profitable it's ever been what is happening my first reaction was to freak out how can you be wagering this much money when the pixel is not working that is insanity like what are you doing my second reaction was well it's working so well like i had to like my first reaction was the setup's not right, but if it's working well, like I can't be mad, but I need to get to the bottom of this. So I hit him up and I'm like, bro, what's going on in that account? And he goes, pretty crazy, huh? I'm like, yeah, dude, very <laughs> crazy. I'm like, bro, there's no pixel data. He's like, what do you mean? I'm like, what do you mean? What do I mean? I mean, the pixel is not providing purchase data or even page view data into the account. And he just calmly goes, yeah, man, to be honest, I haven't looked at pixel data in over a month, right? He was so drilled in on sub ID data in platform that he was literally making it work just looking at the sub ID that was passing from in from the ads manager into Everflow and had created, you know, some of the most profitable days we've ever had. Now, that is not something I would recommend, <laughs> Uh, by all by any stretch that's not best practices don't do this uh, but that was an instance where you know it was post ios 14 we only had in platform and everflow there was no tracking software there was nothing so purchase data was wonky all over anyway and i realized that he was smart enough to figure out where the true purchases were coming from without even looking at facebook data and it kind of made me realize like okay, this guy is going to gloss over the little details, perhaps at a detriment because he's so focused on getting the big wins that we're going to have a home run strikeout type situation here. And so, you know, since then there was a lot of like, hey, this was awesome. However, this is horrifying. You can't drive a car a hundred miles an hour with no brakes, right? Like yeah. that's just, that, it's scary. <laughs> um, but it was, it was an instance where like everything I thought I knew went out the window and I saw something working that was so untraditional. It challenged what I believe, but also, you know, created a great path forward of like helping him understand the nuances of running traffic, how you have to have those guardrails there. Um, but at the same time, like, you know, having that boldness to really go push weight. This is the wild west of, of what happens, especially on the affiliate side. I mean, that was a time where you didn't, you weren't able to have tracking. And now, thankfully, uh, we're able to have tracking, which is the perfect time to have a word from our sponsors. One second. Guys, 
do me a favor, stop, pause the podcast. If you haven't signed up for the Triple Whale Partner Program, you get up to 20% of all the leads that you pass through. It's an incredible source of revenue. It's extremely important. Hey, if we're diversifying and seeing where we can get some more cash to continue to grow your business, your agency, it's a great way of doing it, especially with a great partner like Triple Whale. Yeah, that was wild. Okay, because the, the thing that's the thing that's craziest, the thing is that's so crazy about this stuff is that that's probably something that happens more frequently than not, especially when you look at your book of business on the affiliate side. I have never done it. I've had teams that have done it and I've been a part of it, but I, I myself have never set up and moved forward through it. So I need I need the tools, right? I need the triple L's of the world to to get me to understand what's happening. And I, I'm so curious, especially as we have other agencies that are in that zero to five, five to 10, let me say sub 20, right? Sub 20 area. When you first built long form, you, you were like, I think I'm going to scale this. I think I'm going to build this business into something that's large. And then you mm-hmm. chose to not to, can you, you got to take me back to like, first that thought of like, I have a ton of business or winning. I have the right teammates. Let's kind of scale this. Why did you take that initial pass? There's a step in between um, that I think we need to cover too. And that was when I created Motif Digital. So after okay. long form, um, I realized that um, I was more personally interested in the D2C side of things um, and growing brands. And I got very um, frustrated at the perpetual, okay, we have to make a new webinar, a new VSL. Um, that became, there were so many snags that continued to come up that it kind of, you know, I, I, I got burnt out on that. So we went into D2C, I thought that our traffic buying uh, would be uh, allow us to make a pretty big splash. And and we were right, it did. We grew that agency um, really big. And this was a time where I was like, you know, I just, I want to make a big agency. I want to grow it really huge. Um, almost a year into it, I just realized that this is not what I wanted. Um, I think, yeah. Nick, you could probably attest to this better than anyone. Um, at that size of an agency, uh, your role becomes uh, very HR focused. You're focused on a whole nother set of things that is almost completely unrelated to what got you there to begin with, um, going from a practitioner to really like running the, the business. And I don't think that was my most natural skill set. More importantly, I hated it. I've always been the type of person that like, I'm just not going to do something if I don't like it. Like I, life is too short. I just don't think, um, for me, that trade-off has never really been worth it. And so I got to a point where I really like did not want to do this. I didn't want to have to go get a bunch of clients. I didn't want to have to manage all of the everything. It just, it wasn't for me. And so from there, I, I remember having, I was playing with my daughter and she had just been born. And I just remember having this idea of like, I just kind of want to make more money with less clients. Instead of thinking like that was impossible, I just kind of contemplated and was like, I mean, is that possible? Like in a typical book of business, you're going to have like a handful of whales that are driving most of the profit. And then you're going to have a bunch of other brands that take a a massive resource suck um, and may not ever, you know, generate that much profit, that much contribution margin to the true bottom line. From there, I, I we kind of just made the decision, hey, let's just focus on brands that really want to grow, that are a really good fit for us, and let's keep it boutique. You know, I was looking at a lot of the economic instability coming up over this year, and I thought, if I'm going to do this, now is the perfect time. 
made the decision to downsize um, to create a boutique agency as half the portfolio. The other half focused on traffic, what we do, um, you know, running, uh, making offers work and scaling. It was an incredible decision. Um, Did you look at it as like, okay, you so your mind, you're like, okay, I'm going to make the decision. Was it a renegotiation of contracts of going like, okay, if I'm going to work with less to generate more, did you have to go to contract first? Or were you going like, let's focus on the ones that are already driving? Because if they're already driving the majority of revenue, let's just be like, hey, by the way, we're cutting this book of business and we're just going to focus on you guys. Let's renegotiate. Or you're like, this is a risk. What did you, how'd you approach this contractually? Yeah, great question. So um, all of our contracts have a mutual opt-out as in either party can opt out with 30 days notice. So I literally had to go to the chopping block and a good majority of our book of business, I just talked to them and was like, hey guys, unfortunately we're taking the company in a different direction. Um, this is going to be our last month of service. We can help you find another provider. We can help you, you know. Or? There was no or. Um, really? That was, <laughs> yeah. That, that was like, that was what we were going to do. Like you didn't even, you didn't even think to put in front of them like, hey, like, or here's the deal structure we really want. Cause that, no, that's to I, me is like, that's like, a, that's like the dub play. It'd be like, Hey, you could dip. We've done well for you or interesting dude. Wow. So, so a lot of the, a lot of the brands that I'm referring to were on a lower package, right? Um, okay. at that time we were, we were going for volume and the renegotiation would be something that a lot of these brands couldn't afford. Right. And so sure. Sure. I, I just didn't want to be in that business model anymore of like getting a lot of clients at low margin. And so, you know, for, for some of them, you know, we said, Hey, here, here's the model we're looking towards. Here's then most of them were like, yeah, that's just out of our price range. We can't do that. Um, and then for, for others that I just knew it wasn't gonna, it wasn't gonna go anywhere. I just said, Hey, um, you know, this is what we're doing. We'll help you find another provider. We'll help you. Everyone understood. Um, there wasn't really anyone. There was a couple people that, you know, gave me a call and said, Hey, like, we're really saddened to hear this news. What can we do to make it work? And with those people, we did. Um, you know, a few people, we we ended up making it work. But for the most part, we were successful in downsizing. Um, How did the team take that? The team. So I had a business partner that we were that was we were working with, and we decided to go our own separate ways and just focus on our book of business, right? And yeah. so the, the team, we either some people were let go with severances. It was overall a sad thing. I did not enjoy a sure. second of it, but it was a positive thing. For most of the team that um, saw the the vision of what the future would be, uh, they responded very positively, right? They did not want to have to work on these brands anyway. It, it was not a, uh, it did not fill up their cup. Um, and so right. I think it was welcomed for a lot of people. And that's kind of where we find ourselves today with a much leaner team, but we're only working on projects we're really passionate about the revenue has dipped a lot, um, but net profit, both in percentage and actual take home, at went up considerably. Hats off to you as well. I mean, one, the transparency uh, on you know what you've gone through over the last twelve months. Obviously, not not easy decisions, letting letting people go, giving out severance, having to decrease that top line. Um, but you know, at the same time, it's like for your probably own mental health, for your own personal goals, it's like what aligned with you. One thing I want to throw into that, um, a lot of it was just knowing who I really was too, right? Like I looked at Nick's skill set of managing people and I realized he was way better than me at that, right? And yeah. rather than just trying to force something that I felt would be going uphill, I was like, where can we get the big wins and where can I go really shine with what my best skill sets are? 
And I think just keeping it real with myself um, and being honest about where my strengths and weaknesses lied um, were a catalyst to making a decision that looking back um, was one of the best things that happened, but was very difficult in the time. Yeah, 100%. And here's the thing, man, like this is going to be probably like the most underrated part of this entire podcast is talking about this specific subject because I think as entrepreneurs in the agency space, we are so influenced by where everyone else wants to go, specifically in this market. Do you feel yes. that when you first started your agency journey, you were influenced in the space that everyone was like, scale up, rocket ship emoji, like we're going to the moon type of energy and truly didn't align with who you were? Uh, like, do you feel like you you felt some of that influence? And there's nothing wrong with scaling up, but do you feel like you felt some of that influence from the marketplace? Absolutely. I mean, absolutely. You know, I was pacing around my living room as I tend to do when I'm um, thinking very heavily. And my wife was like, hey, what's up? And I kind of just explained everything I explained to you guys. And I'll never forget this. She looked at me and she goes, babe, it's okay if you got lost in the sauce. Like, it's okay. Like, just, just be honest. And that's what happened, right? Like I had this vision that wasn't even mine of building this huge agency because that's what everyone does and that's what you're supposed to do. And if you have something that works, scale, 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 scale. When push really came to shove, I realized that isn't what I wanted. That wasn't yeah. what, you know, I had, I had started this because, you know, I'm a free bird. I want to do my own thing. Um, and then I found myself like trying to live out someone else's vision when I was not wholeheartedly all in on it. Um, and that's when I knew like, I, I, I have to, I have to keep it real. Like I have to be true to who I am. So I, I think definitely Josh, um, and I think a lot of people fall into that trap, right? It's so easy to compare yourself to other people and believe that what they're doing is what's best for you because it's working for them. Totally forgetting that social media is only going to share one side of the story. They're not going to tell the full story. They're going to share the the idealized version of the truth. Uh. And when you really just stay true to who you are and uh, recognize you know, your skill sets, what you're good at, what you're not... Um, and pursue that, um, I, I don't think that there's a better outcome that can happen, but it's very easy to fall into that comparison trap. Yeah. I think you definitely need to, to ask what you want your business to deliver to you before you make the decision of, of, of scaling or not. Well, so uh, now that you're kind of out of the scaling phase, you know, I'm curious to hear a little bit more about how you guys see growth because we're not scaling up, right? So how do we, how do we determine what growth is, what, what future KPIs are? for the organization. I'm curious to hear a little bit more about that. Yeah. So everything's based off net profit. Um, what the company is, uh, you know, that's, it's a profit first mentality all the way down to the bank account structure. Right. So yeah. it's purely just about driving profit, looking at growth, slow and steady wins the race. Um, I'm more right. concerned about adding the right brand than adding brands. Right. I want to find a brand like Glade Optics, who we came in there this last November was their first with us. And they did $2 million. I was able to really uh, help the founder with an offer uh, for Black Friday and Cyber Monday. And also with new creative, new everything that we were able to give to the buyers. And it was just a home run. And it was one of those, it don't take all day to recognize sunshine moments, right? It was just like, this is so obvious where I'm supposed to be. Um, we changed this brand, you know, worked with them to really help them grow. And I saw like the, the nature of the work at its highest form. And then just kind of realized this is what I want to add, right? I want to find that perfect mix of brand, product, 
founder that we gel with that we can really work with and work on and then just take that brand to the moon and so where before i was a lot less selective right i was looking for brands to bring on i had to grow i had to grow i had to grow um and now it's like hey i just want to find the right brand um i want to grow net profit grow very slowly and and steadily um as opposed to just like blitz scaling and so I, i would say that's how that's how growth looks for us now it's um it's you know looking at something at an opportunity and thinking okay not for the next 30 days but for the next year what does this do to our workflow and what does this do to our profit margin and making a decision off that as opposed to just knife to my neck i got to grow i hear you totally dude and i think when we get back from from a word from our sponsor i want to talk about a pretty crazy decision that happened especially right when right when the baby was born so I'm excited to dig into this. I got a good question for you right after this. Hey, I also want to tell you guys about uh, our other company called Constant Creative with two Ks. Um, and if you're looking for on-demand editing at any time all around the world at a rate that makes total sense, you guys can find us at constantcreative.com. Sometimes you pull consultants in, right? Like, hey, like I know how to run yep. these specific things. I'm going to build it right here. And then sometimes you hire the consultant to come and build and you realize that's not the direction that I need to go or I want to go in. You are one of the very few people that I know has been able to make the business work and have your relationship with your wife in the business as well. Like take Tay, like mm-hmm. people don't realize this, like Tay is your head of creative strategy. She is the lead of this. Now she had to go yep. do mommy duty. She still does mommy duty, but she had a, she dipped out for yep. a period of time. I would I'm so curious to to hear about this partnership, baby time, and back to partnership. It's got to be a crazy ride, man. And most people can't do this. Yeah, for sure. Um, I don't recommend it on face value, right? <laughs> it's it's tough. Uh, however, I think my wife and I are, are naturally suited for this type of structure. Um, both my wife and I are work dogs, right? It's just like who we are. Um, we, we grew up with parents that worked really hard that just, if, if you don't work, you know, you're, you're a loser basically. And so we have this work ethic that's just where we grind. It's what we do. And I've always loved that about her. She's always loved that about me. When I started long form, um, I needed someone on the video side. She was working in television and, um, I just saw her. Uh, talents being like severely underutilized and literally just in a conversation I was like hey you should quit your job come work for me and she was like okay like that was that was it like that was the whole thing and so yeah and so we we did it we we took the jump and so honestly it worked like right off the bat um because we both just worked all day work bled into the home like how what did you do on this when my wife and I go out on a date, um, we always try to not talk about work, but the conversation always goes back there. Uh, yeah. It's just what we love, you know? It, it's what we love doing. It's not, it doesn't feel like work. It feels like I'm in the trenches with my best friend and we're seeing the same things, dealing with the same BS. And so for us, um, it ended up being like a really good thing. Like I love working with my wife. There's definitely, uh, we call it flipping the switch. You know, there's work mode and then there's personal mode. Um, and you have to just have that emotional discipline of like knowing like, okay, I'm talking to this person in a work context, 
not necessarily a husband-wife context. And there has to be that kind of clinical emotional switch on and off that naturally suited who we are as well. Um, there were, you know, a little bit of a learning curve, but it, it, sure. it worked. I think once the kid came, um, that changed a lot of stuff. The first probably five months of my daughter's life, I was like lost. Like I didn't know who I was. I didn't, I felt disconnected from myself. I felt disconnected from a lot of things. Well, it was a really like intense time, right? Because having her made me look at work so much differently. It made me look at everything. Um, you know, bef- when my wife was first pregnant, I uh, was talking to Warren Jolly, uh, the founder of Ad Quadrant, just an awesome, super smart guy. I was asking him, I'm like, hey, you got any advice for a new dad? And he goes, good luck. To be honest with you, when I first had my child, I had the most peculiar thing happen to me. When I held her, I realized that my business was just a business. That's all it was. It wasn't going to be more than that. But then on the flip side, now that I had that person that I had to go hard for, I went even harder. I was just more focused, more decisive, more. And so there's this kind of paradox that happens where it puts the business in context of what it truly is, but simultaneously allows you to go harder because your why just got that much bigger. Sure. And it really stuck with me. And so a few, you know, probably about six months in, we decided to hire a, um, a, a housekeeper and someone that could uh, watch River while we work. I think that was when everything kind of clicked in and this new phase of my life started to become normal um, is when we had someone coming over to help. Um, and then my wife and I could just get back to work. And now we just have a really clean cadence, you know, um, the housekeeper comes over, uh, meal preps for us, watches River while we're working. Um, after my first afternoon shift, I go to the gym. I come home. I hang out with my daughter for a couple hours, and then I go to back to work. Taylor takes over, and then we both come together for dinner and bedtime, um, give her a bath, do the routine, read her a story, sing her a song, put her down, and then typically I'll hop back on the computer for another couple hours, uh, do a couple more things. I love working at night, always have. Yeah. And then get ready for bed. It was an extremely difficult thing that really threw me off my axis. But I had a similar um, journey as Warren kind of prophesied I would when I first asked for advice. This is so dirty. I think the, I think there's going to be a lot of dads that, that actually are going to reach out about this stuff. Because I think as someone that's building a business or someone that's active in their business on the day-to-day operating and executing, and then uh-huh. also having time. We, Shanice and I call it like, I got to close this, I, babe, I got to close these tabs out. Like I have so many of these tabs open. I'm like, I need to close these tabs out or my, my CP, my processing is just going to go way too much. Right. So I think that's, of all the things that we shared today about the agency, the growth, the up to scaling, the downsizing, I think that will probably be one of the most important takeaways. And I, I hope a lot of the listeners really find value in that brother. Wool. I know we're going to have to have a part two on this. I already know it because we have so much more to kind of go chat through. Where could people find you right now? Best place to find me is on Twitter. Um, just at He's Jordan a legend Arm- on Twitter. <laughs> it's good. Twi- Not even. It's good. He, spit some, he spit some game on Twitter, man. It's good. You've been doing good lately. Appreciate that. Appreciate that. Uh, yeah, that's the best place to find me. Um, I genuinely love talking about this stuff, right? Um I was so excited to get on this podcast. Um, I genuinely love both of you guys. So like just to talk to you guys, is like something I'm, I'm passionate about. But I love talking about like this journey and I love talking about being a dad. So um, if anyone out there wants to talk about ads, agency, dad life, um, hit me up on Twitter, Jordan R. Menard. Um, you'll get some spicy D2C takes as well. So 
Let's go. Beautiful. On the next episode of Agency Algorithm, we'll continue to decode what it takes to build and scale and have a good life all during it. Jordan, thank you very much, buddy. I'll see you soon. Thank you guys for having me. It was great. Hey, so you got to do me a favor, guys. You need to sign up for the Triple Whale Agency Partner Program. If you're not, and if you haven't done it already, you're totally missing out. It's about 20% referrals for anybody that comes in and joins that program. It's incredible. You got to sign up for it. 